Good morning, everyone. How are you? So good to see you. Good to be in the same room. I'm sorry if you're not here. You're missing a great event. The room is full, and I just want you to know that, uh, that God is good. Amen? Amen? Does somebody need to be reminded of that today? Can we clap today like, and say that and just rejoice in that, that God is good? No matter what is going on in our world, just God is faithful and God is good. Irregardless of how we feel or what we see, God is continually good. Let us soak up uh, the truth of that. Well, we're in a series. We have one more week in this series after this week. But in today, what we're talking about is we're going to talk about families. But where we began this series, the Refocus series, is this, that faith is founded in a life connected to God, that faith isn't something that we originate, it's something that God allows us to have, and we simply respond to God's initiation. So faith is founded in a life connected to God. Week two, we talked about how faith is, is refined in the core of life's testing. That means that God's moving, God's doing something right now. What I was reminded of earlier during the rally, God's doing a new thing, even right now, which is amazing. God is doing a new thing, and we learn in week three that faithfulness shapes morality. It always has always will and that faithfulness always requires of us to do certain things and and this is something that I think that just often gets overlooked in the busyness of life sometimes it requires of us to either push through and be resilient or to pull back and just just to kind of get ourselves out of the flow of the craziness of life just to abide in Jesus that's what we have talked about thus far in the series and, but it's all been around this theme of faithfulness. So today what we're going to see is this, that living in faithfulness to God bears out in how you parent your child. Living in faithfulness to God bears out in how you parent your child. Your faithfulness is something that is informing the way that you parent, the way that you raise your child. One of our elders, Tim Brierley, he said this, and Tim, if you're at home, you don't even know I'm going to say this, so surprise. He said this a couple years ago when we were in the middle of a senior leadership team huddle. He said this. He says, your kids are a report card for your life. Your kids. See, that's the quality of elders we have around here. See, he says, your kids are a report card on the quality of your life. And that, man, that hit me heavy whenever he said that. Which bears this question, and this question is what we're going to seek to answer today. I will let you know, we're going to address this later on in the year. So today is going to be more really of an overview, topical overview of certain things. We're going to be in a bunch of different scriptures. But in this overview today, what we're going to seek to answer and begin to answer is this question. How does a faithful follower of Jesus parent their child? How does a faithful follower of Jesus parent their child. And I know some of you don't have kids, and, but, and I get all of that. But I want you to know that we are a community of faith, and what a day for us to gather, gather back together in one service to be reminded of, of who's in the body. And I know that there's some people who, at home who are connected to the body who are not able to be here, but we all have a shared responsibility to help love and care for even the children within our, within our faith community. So there's a responsibility one to the other. Uh, whether it's in in DBC Kids, or whether it's in Arise, or, or areas in between of the way that we mentor and we care for and we speak into the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. This doesn't end. So there's something here for all of us. What is a faithful follower? Uh, how does a faithful follower of Jesus parent their child? I heard this story this week. A Chinese man had traveled to America for six months and when asked him what impressed him the most about America, this is what he said, and I quote, 
the way that parents obey their children. The way that parents obey their children. You see, in many homes, it's because the fathers are not the head of the home as they should be. Instead, they're just a figurehead. I think the, the epic failure in homes that what we see in our society is, is largely because of an absence of fathers. Either that or fathers are just passive, so they're, they're absent in the ways that they should be present. So men, if you're a dad and you feel this message just weighing heavy on you today, you're welcome. I'm doing you a favor. Because you have to carry this responsibility. You can't just brush all the, the spiritual growth off, growth off onto the mother or the grandmother or, or me or, or Arise or those in DBC kids. You have a part to play. Moms, you do too. Sadly, I know this is, is true. And, and if you've worked with kids like I've worked with kids, prior to being in ministry here for the last 10 years, I was a kids pastor for five years before that, and I worked heavily in kids' ministry in the years before that, so I've got a long history of working with families. And this is what I know, and this is what I've come to understand. Disobedience at home leads to disrespect and distrust for authority later in life. Disobedience at home, when, when parents are not, excuse me, when parents are allowing their kids to willfully disobey without any sort of consequence, that leads to disrespect and distrust for authority later in life. And this is an epidemic that we see in the generations coming up. There's just this, this distrust for authority. But the distrust for authority actually started with their parents by their parents allowing them to disobey without there being consequences Good consequences, good God-honoring consequences, as there should be. Another quote I, I, read in, or I ran into this week was this, there's no such thing as bad children, they're just bad parents. Eesh, that one hit heavy too. But again, I've got a long history of working with families and kids, and I think this is true. I mean, we've all seen it, right? We've seen the, the picture of the pure, the pure child and they look carefree, but then they're raised up in a home that is, is not a great home, and they're not, they're not really cared for, and then they're just kind of left on their own, and they start out great, and then through the molding of time, they just turn into their caregiver. There's no such thing as bad children, just bad parents, or people who are bad at parenting. I found there are three ways in which children rebel, and this is not going to be new news to you if you're a parent, you get this. Or if you have a memory of what you did to your parents, you're also going to know these three things, um, as would be my case as well, because I was not a good kid, at least most of the time. The ways that they rebel is first disobedience, the second is disrespect, and the third is distrust. So it starts with disobedience. Again, that's just the entry level, them being allowed to, to disobey. And then it's disrespect for authority. And then it's distrust for authority. And these are the type of adults who can't really live in society and they don't have a lot of friends and they bounce from job to job to job to job to job. However, they have an opinion about how they can make everything better. But yet, it's simply their opinion and they themselves are not living this out. If you haven't uh, found this out yet, I will let you know this good news. Parenting is the hardest, and yet it's the most rewarding thing many of us will ever do. It's the hardest. I found that it doesn't stop at 18 years. I actually thought that when, when Austin was younger. I was like, this is great. 18 years, moving on. Problem is, 
you don't really move on. It just continues into a different phase that you weren't prepared for, just like the rest of them. That's what I found out throughout the years. But parenting, is, it is by far the hardest, and yet it's the most rewarding thing many of us will ever do. And it's an incredible privilege that God would allow someone, either biologically or even spiritually, to spiritually father and mother, to care for and nurture the soul of another human being is an incredible privilege. And with it is not only a privilege, there's opportunity, and, and it's, it's difficult. We wade through the difficulties of this. One of the things that I've, I've also seen is this. There's a heavy involvement with kids when they're really, really young, and then the older the kids get, there's less parental involvement. And it seems like and that, that as soon as middle school happens, and then the parents are actually almost looking for a breather away from their, their now becoming teenagers and just raging with hormones. And by the time they get to be adult, or excuse me, to, they get to be in high school, it's like, good grief, you're finally here. You, I've done my job. You can go do your thing. Sadly, this is what is happening right now. So when I talk about parenting, I'm not just talking about, oh, now I just have little bitty knee knockers or I have elementary kids. I'm talking to you if you have, if you have teenagers. Your role in parenting doesn't end. So I want to talk to you if you're a parent of teenagers. The greatest challenge facing, the greatest challenge I think right now in our day is this, that's facing teenagers and their parents is that they, that they develop adult bodies without adult-like maturity. They develop adult bodies. So everything in them is saying the hormones are raging and they're starting to experience things and, and they're like, everything about them is, hey, I'm an adult, but they lack the maturity to handle that responsibility. And I realize that now, now I have your attention and you may want to push back a little bit, but I want, I want to, you to know this. What you see on the screen right now, adult-like maturity is also talking about parents of what's lacking. Because teenagers are raging in hormones, and yet at the same time, parents then tend to pull away and then leave those kids to their own devices, and then they wonder why things turn out the way that they do. So while this is true, this isn't just talking about the great challenge being teenagers and parents as they develop adult bodies and that the students lack adult-like maturity. It's also the adults lack the maturity to continue to parent through that phase. I'll break it down into three different things that I've seen throughout my study and my years of observing things. It's this. Students today, specifically, they, they're given authority without maturity. They're treating them like adults, but they lack the, the true maturity of an adult or even the maturity that should be required of a teenager, but yet they're being just given this authority. They go through puberty without community, and parents not, not forcing, if, have, if they have to, force their kids into a student ministry, so they, now they go through puberty, and they're looking for their own independence, and the parents are comfortable with that independence, so instead of actually going through puberty with community, they just go through puberty alone. All the while, parents are like, oh, you're becoming mature now. You should be able to make your own decisions. Not until they leave your house, they shouldn't. You heard me. Not until they leave your house, they shouldn't. 
And now, because of how sexually charged and sexually explicit everything is in the world right now, now there's a sexuality without sensibility, without knowing the, the role of gender. What's, what is the role of, of a masculine man and a feminine woman? What is the role of that? So now, if they haven't been told and discipled in the home, then they can be told by anybody else and they gobble it up. It's sexuality without sensibility. It's authority without maturity. It's puberty without community. And I quoted this scripture last week, and it's a scripture that is common to us in Isaiah 53, 6. But I want you to know that not only does this apply to you, but also it applies to your teenagers and your kids, which is all the more reason why you need to lean in and continue to parent throughout the years of their maturity. Isaiah 53, 6 says this, All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. You see, the church is an assembly of people. The church, all of us. The church, those of us who are true followers of Jesus, this is, how, this is one of the roles that the church plays in the midst of this community and the development and the maturity of, of teenagers and also just encouraging us uh, as, to one another as parents. The church is an assembly of people who have given their lives to Jesus. This is what is unique about the church. I'm not talking about those who just gather in rows on a Sunday morning. I'm talking about those who truly identify as being followers of Jesus Christ. The church is an assembly of people who have given their lives to Jesus and who should be giving themselves in service to God, including your teenagers and your kids. They should be learning now in the accompaniment of church, which is why we talk about how getting students and kids involved in ministry of their own. This is the reason why I look over here and I see some of the students and why some of them have actually been working in the kids ministry for years. Why? It's because they or their parents have bought into the vision of what this is, that all of us have a role to play within the family of God, that as we are a church, we're an assembly of people, of saved people, Specifically, we've given our lives to Jesus and they should be giving themselves in service to God. So that's the role that a community plays in raising kids. And I speak for the the kids ministry and I speak for the student ministry. We want to come alongside you. We want to champion the cause of parenting for you and we, we advocate for you. We're not trying to replace you because we can't. We want to walk alongside you, but you have to walk alongside us. You have to walk alongside us. In week one of the series, this was the the key verse for the series, and I told you it's going to be a verse that we're going to come back to throughout the rest of this year. But this passage, and it's not today's passage. Today's passage is going to be from 2 Chronicles, but I want to share this first. 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 2 said this. So then, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with with the secret things of God. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. This also applies to your parenting. You've been given a trust 
the trust of the gospel to then pass on to the next generation. You've been given a trust to care for and seek to spiritually develop your kids under your roof and under this roof. We all have a part to play, one connected to the other. Faithful families begin with faithful parents. Faithful families begin with faithful parents. This is where it begins. I, I want to ask you this question, and, and I'll let you know why, uh, <laughs> why I just said that, but I want to ask you this question. Who in here likes to fly? Anyone like to fly? Like in a, even a non-COVID environment? I don't know. I don't know if I'm like up for flying right now with all the chaos, but several of us like to fly. If, if you like to fly, who in here has flown? Okay, that's most of us, you guys know. Um, so when you get on the airplane and you, you jump through all the hoops and you're finally in the airplane, you can breathe a sigh of relief, you can have that awkward moment where you're trying to get your seatbelt and not grab, the, not grab the person next to you. You go through all of that stuff and you do that and then the flight attendant goes up and he or she stands at the front of the plane and they give you this spiel and some of them are creative and they tell you what to do. Hey, if you're flying over water, I just want you to know that you have a flotation device under your seat. Like, seriously, is that a real comfort? Like, if I'm flying over water, I, I'm, I'm just saying statistics really don't bear out well if a plane lands on water, unless Scully is the pilot, you know, from like New York City. Unless that's happening, I'm not saying that there's a lot of hope. Like, if it hits the water, you better know Jesus ahead of time, right? Because you're going to see him really, really quickly. I'm sure of it. I don't think I'm going to have time to see that cushion, and I don't think I'm going to be able to ride that thing down the waves. Sorry to give you that visual. I just don't think it's going to happen. But one of the things they tell you, too, is they say, in the event of a sudden loss of cabin pressure, who's heard this? You know what I'm talking about, right? They tell you that the masks are going to fall in front of you. And you're like, please, Lord, don't ever let the masks fall in front of me. And then they tell you that if you are a caregiver, if you're a parent or you're a caregiver, they tell you to put your mask on before you help somebody else put their mask on. Because what they're telling you is, if you don't take care of you, then you can't take care of them. It's the same thing spiritually. It's the same thing spiritually. If you're not taking care of your spiritual walk, you're going to have little to nothing to offer to those that you're raising, those that you're caring for. Those of you, if you maybe you're helping to... to disciple some of the other kids, whether it's in DBC Kids or Arise, if you don't have a growing and abiding relationship with Jesus, you're not going to have much to offer those students and those kids you're looking to pour into. So if you don't take care of you, you, you can't take care of them, which is why faithful parents, or excuse me, faithful families begins with faithful parents. That's why. So there's going to be three main things, and this is actually uh, already lined out for you, I believe, for the most part, and outlined in your worship guide. But the first thing I want to talk about today is the, the call of the faithful parent. The call of a faithful parent. This is the call. This is what's being asked of you as a faithful parent. And I want to begin by saying this. You can't control how they grow. You can't control how your kids grow. I want to encourage you. Some of you raised your kids and you've done all you can do and you raised them spiritually and you did everything that you knew how to do. You had your kids in church, you poured into them, you loved them, you did Bible stories, you, you prayed with them and yet 
all we like sheep have gone astray. Each one has gone their own way. And there was that moment in time where they just, they bolted and they're, they're, they're wondering right now and they're the prodigal. I want to encourage you and say, you know, they have a mind and a will of their own. And you're not on the hook for every single decision that your kids make. You're on the hook for what you're supposed to do in raising your kids. So you can't control how they grow, but you can shape their atmosphere. I think my mom learned this years ago. She worked at the hospital in Hillsboro, Illinois, and just so you have a reference point, and my mom worked at the hospital, and that was, of course, way before direct deposit. You literally had to go in there to get your paycheck, and so my, my mom had taken a few of us. I can't remember if it was my cousin or my brother who was with us, but I remember that we all went in there to, to this counter where mom was supposed to get her paycheck, and she went in there, and it was taking a little bit, so we stood in there by her, and then we went outside of the walls, but it was literally like right down the hallway, right on the other side. We were outside, so it was just us kids out in this parking lot or in this little area outside. And so we're just going back and forth, and we start to argue. And, and, and then there was that moment that, that whoever it was, I don't know who set me off, but somebody set me off, and I said a word that would make a sailor blush. I mean, it was a bad one. Yeah, I mean, if you were to grade it out, this would have been an 11 on a scale of 10. It was a bad one. And I didn't, like, say it, like, timidly, because I was angry. I said it loudly. And by loudly, I meant I screamed it. I will remind you, I was at my mom's workplace. And I will let you know, and I don't know, just in case you have never heard me singing, I have a big mouth. I do. I always have. And... All I know is my mom got her check, and she flew. I don't even know if she hit the ground, but she flew out the door, and she knew exactly who it was, and she heard the word, uh, and she knew that I had said it and went out there, and then I'll just say I got some discipline because of it. And it was a really weird thing because in that, in that moment, it's kind of like, how dare you? Where did you learn that word? All of these types of things. And I will tell you, my mom didn't really use that word. She used some other colorful modifiers, but not that word. And just to be true to the story, but I've got some family members who let it all fly. So I'd heard it many times, but it was almost like this, this thought, oh my goodness, where did you hear that word? I was like, have you met your brothers? Like they all, all of them, all of them, like all the time, like I was raised up like knowing this, and it was because that was the atmosphere that I was raised in. So I was simply mimicking the atmosphere that I was raised in. Your kids will do the same thing for you or to you, which is why Tim is so right that your kids are a report card on your life because they're going to mimic you. We're going to look today in several scriptures, but what we're going to land on and, and talk about it at great depth comes out of 2 Chronicles 23. And I will let you know that this is not a traditional parenting lesson. Uh, it's not, this is not about what some parent did to kids. Instead, what we're going to do is we're going to go through this, this passage of Scripture. And just so you know the context, there were two, two warring factions back and forth. And it was the, the law of, of, of just retribution there was one going after the other after the other and they were feuding against one another and they were literally killing off 
like the other person, the other group's family. It was a really tragic thing and something that we see a lot in law-based societies, not grace-based societies, but simply law-based societies. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at, at this story and we're going to look at this really young king and how this really young king comes into power, but then how there, this priest brings about revival. And we're going to look specifically on how the priest brings about revival. And then we're going to take some of these principles and we're going to apply them to our role as, as parents. So that's, that's where we are going to be. So start in verse 3, if you will. They went throughout Judah and gathered the Levites and the heads of the Israelite families from all the towns. They came to Jerusalem. The whole assembly made a covenant with the king at the temple of God. Jehoiada said to them, the king's son shall reign, and the, the, the king's son is, is Joash, shall reign as the Lord promised concerning the descendants of David. Now this is what you are going to do. Notice the detail of now how they're trying to protect the king. And this is what I want to, to talk about because beliefs form behaviors. Beliefs form behaviors. Now this is what you're to do. A third of you priests and Levites who are going on duty on the Sabbath are to keep watch at the doors. A third of you at the royal palace and a third at the foundation gate and all the other men are to be in the courtyards of the temple of the Lord. No one is to enter the temple of the Lord except the priest and Levites on duty. They may enter because they are consecrated, but all of the other men are to guard what the Lord has assigned to them. Verse 7, the Levites are to station themselves around the king. They're protecting the king. Notice now there's an inner boundary with the Levites around the king, and now the other groups are around the temple to protect the king. So the Levites are to station them around the king, each man with his weapons in his hand. Anyone who enters the temple must be put to death. Stay close to the king wherever he goes. You're like... Okay, so what does this have to do with parenting? Because that's like a bad deal. It is a bad deal. But what I want you to see is how they're forming a boundary. There are beliefs about God's anointed king. And because of this, now they're protecting. There's enemies on the outside. And now they have two, two rings of protection around the king. Let's continue on. In verse 8 through 11, I'm not going to read it just for the sake of time, but I will let you know this. Jehuida, he places warriors around the perimeter. Now, you, there's like a little repetition here around uh, just to guard from the attackers. And now let's dig into verse 12. Jehuida then made a covenant that he and the people and the king would be the Lord's people. All the people went to the temple of Baal and tore it down. They smashed the altars and idols and killed Matan, the priest of Baal, in front of the altars. Pretty gruesome stuff. Verse 18. Then Jehoiada placed the oversight of the temple of the Lord in the hands of the priests who were Levites, to whom David had made assignments in the temple to present the burnt offerings of the Lord 
as written in the law of Moses, with rejoicing and singing as David had ordered. He also stationed doorkeepers at the gates of the Lord's temple so that no one who was in any, who was in any way unclean may enter. I'll break these down into, into principles of which we can apply to our lives. Again, beliefs form boundaries. So if we're to be faithful parents, there are boundaries you need to set on your home. There are certain things you should allow in and certain things you should keep out. This is just the call of a faithful parent is forming boundaries. You, you through the guidance of the Holy Spirit of God, can decide what those boundaries are, but there needs to be consistent boundaries around your home, around your marriage, and around your children. Another thing that we see here is they have a faithfulness to God. You as a parent need to grow in your faithfulness to God. They were doing all this because this young king was God's appointed king. And the priest now would be bringing about a little revival with the people of God at the time because A, these belief form boundaries. The second, because they were faithful to God. The next thing that, that you could see is they dealt with sin severely. And we should deal with sin severely too. Not to the level that they had, just with the, the law of, of retribution. But we should deal with sin severely. We shouldn't just let it fly in our house. He also initiated and he led others to live faithfully. As parents, this is... This is the call of a parent is, to, is for us to live faithfully, but also to lead others to live faithfully. And he also positioned people to create an atmosphere of worship and praise. Your home should be a place in it where there's an atmosphere of praise and worship to God. It should be normal. The praise and worship to God should not be just seen as you come into this place to praise and worship God, but at your home, there should be just the echoing effect of the praise and worship of God that you see and experience here week after week, but it should continue in the halls of your home. So we talked about the call of faithful parents. Now let's talk about the second thing, the practices of faithful parents. The practices of faithful parents. The first one is pretty obvious. It's provision. 1 Timothy 5.8 says this very clearly. If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith, and he's worse than an unbeliever. That's heavy, is it not? That's really heavy. So the first duty of parents is to provide food and clothing and shelter and a new phone and a new truck and new clothes anytime that the kids want it and make sure that the kids go to the school of their choice and not your choice because after all, you know, they're in sixth grade so they should be able to make decisions like this all on their own. Of course, this is all tongue-in-cheek, but this is what we see culturally. This is what we see when, when parents were obeying their children instead of children being raised to obey their parents. So if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he's denied the faith and he's worse than an unbeliever, that's a pretty heavy message. The second thing we need to provide is resistance. Resistance. And even me saying that and talking about your kids, now what I'm feeling from you is resistance. 
But let's talk about the resistance that we all need. In Romans 5, 3 through 5, there's a built-in resistance that is used for character development. And this is ultimately, isn't this one of the big calls of parents and us as adults is to have Christ-like character. Romans 5.3 says this, We can rejoice too when we run into troubles and trials, for we know that, w- that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead us to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, because He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. This message transcends you adults and needs to then be what permeates into the life of your kids. They need resistance, built-in resistance. The resistance helps them to develop Christ-like behavior. I mean, how else could Paul say this? We can rejoice. The verb form of the word joy. He says we can rejoice too when we run into troubles and and problems, and we know that they help us develop endurance, and in develop, uh, and excuse me, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strength is our confident hope of salvation. Your kids need need to feel the weight of their decisions, and it's okay for them to feel some of the consequences for their decisions. They need it. They don't need you to protect them from those consequences. They're going to face those consequences eventually, and if you're a buffer for all those consequences, they're not going to be ready when they actually become adults and they have to take in responsibility themselves. There was a really cool study that happened years ago in a place called the Biodome. Now it's, well, it's a completely closed-in three-acre facility, and the University of Arizona owns it, and what they decided in this biodome is they were, they were and adults actually, actually lived, humans lived in this place, but they wanted everything in it protected. The, the water had to be purified. The, the light was actually, uh, it, they, they actually like purified the light. Everything in it, the soil was pure. Everything in it was as pure as can be. And what they were trying to, to see is what would life be like almost in like this utopian kind of environment. But what they noticed was the trees would grow, and at first they would grow, and they would look great, and they'd look strong, like, yes, this is working. But the trees would only grow to a certain point, and then the trees could be easily toppled over. Can you guess why? No. Well, the roots do have something to do with it. No wind. Because the wind created the resistance that then drove the roots. And without the wind, without that constant resistance, the trees didn't go deeper and deeper and deeper. Spiritually speaking, your kids develop deep roots when they, when they actually experience some healthy resistance. They, they, they develop spiritual roots. This, I think, is what Paul's talking about in this passage. He's reminding us that when we go through these trials and we, we endure problems, 
that we do so when we walk through these problems and, and God uses those to deepen our roots. And as the wind creates in that, that resistance that we learn how to stand tall and we learn how to put deep roots into Christ. So that we too won't be easily toppled over. So then, when we grow deep, we too can stand faithful and tall. So that we, we, all of us, if you're listening, kids, uh, you know, teenagers, wherever you are in the midst of that, when, when we grow deep, we can stand faithful and tall. Another thing we need to provide outside of just resistance is we need to teach them. Don't just assume that they're getting taught everything they need at church. Don't just assume, that, well, if I, if I just put them in youth group, that they're getting everything they need. Parents, one of those things that you're supposed to be providing for your kids is a spiritual foundation. So you, you should teach them manners, teach them respect, teach them the fear of God. There's a passage of Scripture in Deuteronomy 6 that says this, These commandments that I give to you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. This is part of the Hebrew culture still today. Impress them, verse 7 says this, Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Talk about spiritual things. This is part of the training the spiritual training that your kids need. And the great thing about training is this. As parents go train their kids, the parents get retrained themselves. That's the amazing thing about discipleship. When, when someone disciples someone else, the, the original disciple gets to learn twice. They, they not only learn these things themselves, but they get to learn it to a, different, a deeper level when they actually teach Someone else. It's the same thing with a parent. When you go through and you teach these spiritual truths to your kids, you actually go deeper in that as well. Another thing is train. So not only teach, but train. Train, or as some of the translations say, it says start a child in the way that he should go, and when he's old, he will not turn from it. There's a training so you need to be thinking about how am I discipling my kids? What are my kids involved in? What do they not do, need to be involved in? What are the rhythms that we need to add to our everyday life so that I can actually train my kids? Or if you are the spiritual influencer for your grandkids so you can be a person who thinks through how can I actually train my kids? Training them up and starting them in the way that they should go and when they're old they won't turn from it. How can I do this? Did you know, specifically within our, our kids' ministry and our student ministry, that there's a scope and sequence embedded into the curriculum? Did you know that? There's a scope and sequence to, to teach, to develop, help with the development of your students and your kids into maturity. Did you know that? Some of you didn't know that. And, and some of you, I'm not trying to step on your toes, but some of you didn't know that because you're not actually using the resources and tools that we have presented for you tools for you to take home so you can know what your student and your kid learned on Sunday so that then you can actually reinforce those things at home. And maybe there's something you, that you've missed in there in your discipleship and you can actually learn them right alongside your students. What an opportunity. 
Again, I'm not trying to just step on your toes, but I'm just saying there's a lot of tools to help equip you to be more faithful and diligent in, the, in your spiritual upbringing of your kids and students. You just need to do it. So part of the practice is the faithful parents. The next one is a temper. Temper. You're like, yes, I get to be mad all the time. No, 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 no. It's the other side of temper. To watch your temper. Never discipline in anger. Moms, don't nag. Don't nag. And just try to be a good example at all times. The passage connected with this. I just read this yesterday, actually. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Crystal clear message. And the last of the practices of faithful parents is this. A timeliness. Don't don't wait to discipline your kids. Don't wait to, you know, just wait for them to, oh, they're going to grow out of this. If it's a character flaw, they're not going to grow out of it. It's just going to grow deeper into them. You don't grow out of sin. The Holy Spirit of God drives out sin. You never grow out of sin. So Proverbs 19, 18 says this, discipline your children while there is hope. Otherwise, you will ruin their lives. That's a strong message. Discipline your children while there is hope. Otherwise, you'll ruin their lives. I sense the heaviness of this. I'm living in the heaviness of this. I've been thinking about this actually for the last couple weeks and thinking about mistakes that I've made and, and forgiveness that I've had to ask and, and things, honestly, that I don't even know that I've done that I'll find out in the future. So this isn't, this isn't for us to just wallow in sorrow and talk about all the bad things that we've done. This is for us to be positioned well in Christ that us being faithful parents now help us to position us well to be faithful families. That's where I want us to be, and I believe that's what God's Word clearly says for us. So now we'll finish with the third uh, and main idea, and this one's a quick one. It's the promise for the faithful. It's the promise for the faithful. There's a reward that comes with faithfulness. And this is part of the promise. Exodus 20 verse 12 says this, Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord has is giving you. So students, kids, when you want to rebel and you want to push away from your parents and you want to tell yourself, what do they know? They're old, you know, or whatever the same stuff I said about my parents, but they got a lot smarter the older I got. It's amazing. But when you honor your father and mother, there's a way that your life is actually improved when you heed their advice and the spiritual advice and the biblical counsel of those who are your 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 small group leaders at Arise and your small group leaders in DBC Kids, when you actually take part in that, your life is actually benefited by that. This is one of the promises of, of the scripture. And here's another promise. A man reaps what he sows. A man reaps what he sows. 
If you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to get that result. This isn't magic. This isn't like, oh, one day it's all going to work out okay. After all, God has a plan. Yeah, God has a plan. You're right. And I've, I've seen a lot of people walk through deep trauma thinking that God has a plan, but yet they actually weren't actually living by the will of God. So God's plan was a, was a tumbleweed like for their life because of their choices. The two things are true. God has a plan, and you do reap what you sow. Both things are fully true. So my recommendation is this. Set and enforce healthy limits within your children and teenagers by giving them choices and consequences. Set and enforce healthy limits with your children by giving them choices and consequences. She's not ready for this, but G, could you come up here real quick? I know, I can see your face. Come up here. You love this idea. My beautiful daughter. I want to give you an example of this. Could you put that on the screen about setting boundaries? Come over here. There you go. Now you're actually going to be, you're going to be here. So here's the thing. When your kids are older, this is not an illustration that I've come up with, by the way. Dave Ramsey did. When, you're, when, when your kids are really, really young, hold that right here. When your kids are really young, they have a really, really short leash. You have to stay really, really close to them. You have to. I get, a, I get a kick out of the parents who put the little, the little wrist leashes on their kids and they zip them back and forth. And I'm like, isn't that meant for a dog? Anyway, some of you, I don't want to judge you if you do that. I'm just, that's just the ramblings of a pastor. So here's the thing. When they're, when they're younger, they're on a short leash because they don't know better. They, they don't. And now you're trying to help them and enforce healthy limits in their life. And this, that's a good thing. The older they get, the more mature they get, the more they can handle the responsibility so you let out the rope a little bit. You're still connected. You're still here. But, but, they're still, but, but you're still connected. They're not making all their own decisions. They're, they're still here. Now, if, if they do something in their character and it shows a deep character flaw, you close the gap again. A little bit more close parenting. But when they prove to be maturing, you let out a little bit more rope. Your goal as a parent is the older that they get, and in a good and healthy way, notice we're still connected, but the older that your kids get and the more mature that they get, your goal should be that as they get old enough, college age, and start to have the freedom to move out of your home, not that you that you snatch the rope out of their hand. That's not what they want. What they want is they want to know that you trust them. So when they get old enough, college age, whatever that age is specific to, to the child, you can't treat them as a little child and go back to the way they were there when they were five. Your goal should be no. Said no, at, at the time that they become mature is then you give them the rope. Then you give them the rope. You still love them and you care for them. And now they can go become faithful adults of their own. And you're still their parent, but you're not hovering around them and you've given them the rope and you've said, I release you, I trust you, I love you, and don't forget where home is. That's the goal. Don't forget where home is. 
So you set and enforce healthy limits with your children by giving them the choices and consequences. I want to pray for us. You can stay up here. I want to I pray for us, and then we're going to take the Lord's Supper, okay? Father, we thank you for today, and we are so grateful for this opportunity for us to gather in this, in this space and to sit under this teaching. And Lord, these, these principles, some of them are very heavy. And God, we need so much grace to be able to know how to live out these truths. And Lord, I know that there's some parents in here who their kids haven't turned out in the way that they thought or dreamt, and they've kind of done their own thing. And, and Lord, I, I pray that you would pull them out of any, any pit of shame. You'd allow them to stand confidently on the throne of grace. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you would give us all wisdom as we are partnering in discipling and, and nurturing and loving the generations to come. And Lord, as, as these generations are different, we're going to need the Spirit's freshness and newness for us to know what it is that we're supposed to do and how it is that we're supposed to do it. And Jesus, we, we thank you for being faithful all the way into the cross. That you didn't argue, you didn't, you didn't fuss, you didn't fight. Because the cross wasn't defeat. It was victory. So now as the, as the followers of Jesus, now as we take the Lord's Supper, Lord, let us taste this in remembrance of you and experience in the victory that you give. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.